Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about time for true crime. Hello. Hi. Happy one year anniversary. Oh, happy birthday, babe. Happy birthday we to us. We turned one this year. We look so good. We've made Honestly, so many changes this year. We have. We sound so much better than we were on day one. Bless up. We stutter less. We can speak a little bit more concisely. We say, I mean, I wouldn't say a ton of less likes, ums, and yas, but we say less of them. It's true. Yeah. It's true. And progress is progress. And it, we appreciate that. You know, we look for progress over perfection. We've done some cool cases this year. We got uh, some big hitters, some small town murders. We got some seasonal ones in this year. We've got some CJ shorts and connecting things back. We have, gosh, we're near and close to 100 episodes, which is pretty insane. We've got quite the catalog, but I do think it's funny. I mean, just listening back to like our first mm-hmm. few episodes. I mean, I would even say maybe the first 20 or so is like getting into your groove, kind of making yeah. sure that you're speaking into the mic right and that you're not tripping over your words and that you don't get too excited about what you're about to say that you fuck it all up and right. <laughs> right. just doing that I think we've really been able to hone in and I just think it's kind of sweet to go back and listen it to is. the beginning ones where we're still a little nervous and choppy and things like that but it all it just it grows and that's all you can really ask for so we appreciate you guys so much for being on this yes. journey with us and thanks for sticking it out through yeah. the learning curve I trusting mean, that we would figure it out I think we did a pretty good job I think we've done all right and now that we actually sound pretty normal in most settings, you know, I can listen in my headphones, I can listen in my car and like going from one to the other doesn't blast out my eardrums in one way. We've you know? had people reach out and say they even like listen from their watch, which I right. thought was interesting and pretty cool. Well, hey, so live from your wrist. If it, hey, if it sounds all right, we'll take it. Of course, now right. I'm still stuffy and sound terrible, so... Yeah, this thing has really been kicking your ass. It's been kicking my booty. Like, I have had the front seat on the struggle bus, it feels like, for quite some time now. Yeah, yeah. you might have gotten promoted to driver. I, you know, they offered it to me. Oh, and shit. I was going to turn it down, but yeah. I just sort of figured with these gas prices. I mean, at the very least, it'll buy you a tank for your car. I mean, right? that's that's really where Every I was coming from. Every month or from. so. So I just, you know what... <laughs> We'll take it. A job's a job. Oh, it's you know? true. So there's that. Wow. What a time to be alive. Yes. We're just, we're so very grateful. I can't believe we this are. year has gone by so fast and we've had so much fun doing this and learning along the way and yeah. just having like our own little corner of this space to just round table our thoughts right. and allow them to grow and change and Talk. have a place to yeah have the conversations that again you and i were gonna have anyway but right to in- like include our listeners in it and to yeah. have the feedback that we appreciate so very much well and we get to connect with everybody else who thinks along the same lines and i know that one of the things that i value and i know that you value is that we do have differing opinions on a lot of things yeah and even though we have like the same values and goals in sight, we think about them very differently. And I think that it's nice that we get to see other people who do the same thing because, you know, it is amazing. It's so wonderful. It's so fun to just chat with Allie in her kitchen. 
But again, that is not the new part. The new part is that we're getting all sorts of other people who are kind of on the same wavelength. Like y'all think like us, you kind of do that. Mm, what's going on there? Like, yes. <laughs> have to learn more about that. I have to know how this works. Can just do the dishes listening to a horrific case or fall right. asleep listening to that documentary. But like a scary movie will keep you up at night. Like, exactly. Make it make sense. These are real things. That's fake. But somehow... Somehow, I can't sleep after watching the Sinister movies. I was just going to bring Sinister. <laughs> you hate Sinister. I think, it, no, I love it. I think it's so well done. Your adrenaline. But yeah, but sinister. like, yeah, my heartbeat, like my heart rate increases so much watching oh that that I have to like hide behind a pillow, but I'm always just peeking out. Yeah. It's so well done. I don't know. So um, I think for our one year anniversary, it would be so nice of you. To rate us, to review us, to subscribe. Just a, I mean, yes, we love to hear it, right? But also, I think that it could be really sweet just to get your take on how the last year has been. You know, have, have we grown a lot? Have we grown in the ways that you are looking for? Is there anything else that you're thinking we could be doing better or different to better serve not only our audience, but our our media format you know yeah and what kinds of episodes are your are your favorites do you really appreciate the cj shorts that we've been doing do you prefer more of a one-off get it all done in one episode do you like the series and those much deeper dives you know where we've got part two of a of a two-part series here today yeah um just letting us know what it is that you like to hear right we want to know it all we want to be in this with you and so far we we are in it with you, but we're also doing a lot, hoping that you'll like it. And we like to know that you'll like it. So that's all. That the, would be super nice. The fact that we can see the reach that it's had, that we are in all 50 states in the United States, oh. that we have been in, I think, 30 plus countries at this yep. point is really incredible. And if you in any way could just, you know, tell a friend or download or whatever. Right. Share something on your Instagram, anything. It's, it's just something quantifiable that we can see that shows that you're hanging out in my kitchen with us. There's a lot of yep. us here. There's um, hundreds of us here, which is kind of nauseating to say. That's yeah, insane. And this house is not that big. No. So pretty cool that we can fit you all here. Yeah. If I may say so myself. You may. But the again, hostess with the mostest, <laughs> you know? Hey, I always got the snacks. Yeah, you do. Always got, got a pasta salad. We'll always have some kind of kielbasa. Now we're cooking with gas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I just wanted to say that I appreciate you guys so much and that you have made this last year very enjoyable and very awesome. This is still, I can't speak for Allie, but I kind of can. This is still my favorite thing to do. Oh, absolutely. It's so fun because we, again, we just get to do this. And then also it's like with other people that are like, oh my gosh, tell me so much more as soon as possible. I just get giddy when we get feedback from you guys. And I appreciate when people have differing opinions because I really appreciate just different sort of viewpoints and perspectives because I feel like we're just here to learn. I'm not here to bark at you, you know, what my opinion is um, without leaving room for anyone else right. to sh- you know share oh well i look at it this way or this way and there's things that we're never going to talk about right they're like right like politics you can listen to that literally anywhere you go you'll yep. hear it so we'd like this place to be a spot where that's not discussed the main focus yeah because it's talked about in every other facet of our lives that i think it's a little bit of a reprieve from that to yeah. just 
pump the brakes. Well, we'll leave it there. And again, like last week we talked about, it's the fourth in the U.S. We don't have a lot of roots in other countries and other country um, like holidays and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So even if we were to talk politics, we don't want to exclude anybody from that conversation by not having anything for where you're at. But we also don't want our podcast to be about that. We just we love this part of the internet and this sort of like detective mystery, yeah, true this, crime this is a space corner. for everybody. I don't care what your thoughts are right. on that. This, you're welcome at the table, too. And I think the only times that we've ever really brought it up was when it was pertinent to that story, mm-hmm. when we had to bring it up for the purposes of understanding what a victim's life was like or what the setup was for someone to be victimized. And that's important to know. But it ain't the whole thing. And girl, we got so much more juicier shit to talk about than just a bunch of people with money making a bunch of choices. So I agree. But I I just think that I'm running out of places where it's not yeah. the focus or brought up. And I'm like, I just want to get away from it for a little Please. bit. <laughs> it's like all it's been for like my entire life. So I know. Um, it is nice to have the break and just like a breather. Just a breather. Speaking of a breather, I literally have been on the edge of my seat <laughs> i want to know the deeper dive that you've done into this because i know nothing about dd i know that you've spent weeks and hours oh, yes. on hours researching the gypsy rose blanchard case and i need the part two i just need to know what else you found yeah i had 20 pages of research Part one was only up to page seven and a half so we have a lot to get through today oh my god yes hit me But I think it's really good. So we'll jump right down into it. Again, there's a couple of trigger warnings, just, you know, theoretical rape, some sexual stuff, murder, if you will, um, and just child abuse. So I'll try to like get into that a little bit before I, you know, delve in so that you have a little bit of a warning. But otherwise, that's where we're at. At the end of part one, we left everybody in Springfield, Missouri in a fucking tizzy because the two sweetest people in their town, Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Rose Blanchard, their Facebook account got hacked and it said, that bitch is dead. This is June 14th. They go over to the house. They're like, hey, this doesn't sound like you. What's going on? Can't see anybody. No one's answering the phone. Call the police. We find out Dee Dee is stabbed 17 times in her own bed. Gypsy, a very young woman with lots of ailments including leukemia muscular dystrophy and paraplegia is nowhere to be found but all three of her wheelchairs are found inside the home so we will pick up there okay all right so we're gonna go through the investigation because facebook ironically was a huge part of this case both in bringing the death to the public's attention but also catching the killer Something that the internet does that I hope we're all aware of by now, but if not, I need you to listen very closely. It leaves a fucking footprint. That it does. Not only is there an IP address tagged onto everything you do, post, say, go, etc. on any device. So a different IP address for your computer and your phone, but it's always going to be the same one. So people know what device it's coming from. There is also almost a GPS print on location as well. Oh, definitely now. So while this is maybe different depending on the device you have, its capabilities, where in history we're talking, this GPS could just be like location, like triangulated between places, but it could also just very much be GPS coordinates like 
longitude and latitude exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was certainly longitude and latitude exactly where you are. But I think it's important to remember because that happens for everybody, not just killers on Facebook. So be careful, you know, Internet with caution. But <laughs> yeah, um, what was so strange about this post was that despite Dee Dee's location in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, this post was found to be made in Big Bend, Wisconsin. Big Bend? Hours away. Yes. Mm. Big Bend. Big like Bend. Like Big Bend, but like, whoop. I like it. You know? So the police showed up at the address of the big of the location in Big Bend, Wisconsin, from the Facebook post. Sure. As you do, right? There, they found a little house. They knocked it down. They did the whole, this is the police. Come out with your hands up. And... You mean knocked on the door? You said knocked it down. <laughs> like knocked the whole house over. He puffed and he puffed, puffed and he, and he blew, blew the house down. down. He huffed and he puffed and he knocked on that door and he <laughs> said, this is police. Come out with their hands up. And who is in it but the go to John family? Okay. So we find Nick and Gypsy there together. We do. And they arrested both of them. There was something that shocked everyone. The police, the public, Nick's family, even Gypsy's own family. She walked out to the police car. She's not supposed to be able to do that. The girl with paraplegia and leukemia and muscular dystrophy for her entire life walked no cane, no crutches, no walker, obviously no wheelchair. Own two feet out to the police car. So this is where things get wild. All right. When the police pulled Gypsy into her interview, the officer sat down with her, informed her that her mother was deceased and that she knew and needed to cooperate. It's actually really interesting. You can find a bunch of the interrogation and the trial videos on YouTube. I've linked a fuck ton of them. There's a bunch. Hell yeah. But... Um, Gypsy, her interview was nuts. So this guy kind of gets in there. It's late, right? So they must have gone to the house later in the evening because all of these investigations, interrogations, like the initial interviews Mm -hmm. were all very late in the night, like 10 p.m., midnight, that kind of thing. So Gypsy, you can see it's kind of like a bigger guy. He sits down with her. She's wrapped in a blanket on like a couch And he's like, your mom's dead and we need to know what you know about it. And she's like in hysterics. Like the first she hears about it, she's like, my mom's dead. What are you saying? Like, are you like my mom is dead? And he's like, yes, your mom's dead. And we know that, you know, you need to help. And she's like, I what are you talking about? My mom's dead. So she's crying a lot. She's not doing well. And Nick was obviously picked up at the same time. His interview went much differently, though. See, Mm -hmm. from the second they sat down, he sang like a bird. Okay. And here's what we're going to find. I want to talk about both Nick and Gypsy's interrogation because they were notably different. And here I want to talk about Nick's. I'm not going to lay out everything, but I'm going to lay out the notably different parts and then fill in the rest with Gypsy's. All right. So if I don't mention it here, it doesn't mean that Nick didn't say it. It just meant he said the same thing Gypsy said. Okay. Okay. So... Nick's interrogation was easy. They found him in his home first. Obviously, that's where they arrested him. And I just wanted to bring up here that, again, 
all of these videos are on YouTube, so you can look. Listen to me for sure, but like if you're curious, peep in on that. It's around. Many ship many clips have been shown in the various documentaries that I've watched, but if you want a really good one, the one on Apple TV called Gypsy's Revenge is a documentary that splices all of this together very comprehensively, which is hard because there's a lot of information we're about to find out. So it's late at night. He's presumably tired and incredibly socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Again, yes. this is Nick Godijohn, Gypsy's long-term, long-distance online secret boyfriend. Who showed up in a suit to a Disney movie alone and approaches what appears to be a young child. And, and her mother. Starts <laughs> talking to them. And Dee Dee hates him immediately, which Correct. is like... Yeah, that makes sense. That'd be creepy. Yes. So it's very funny to me how socially awkward he is, because I think if you watch somebody who is socially awkward, maybe this is just me and like the ADHD or the introvertedness or something. But when someone's incredibly awkward, I'm like, I feel you. Like, I <laughs> I want to say those things all the time. And then my brain just goes a million miles and I end up not. But it's not that I wouldn't say them. Like, yeah. So if we wanted to know how awkward he was when he was booked, someone goes, oh, you know, did you eat before? Like, are you hungry? And he goes, well, they make these things called ham sandwiches. And apparently they can come with mayo, too. And like, it was very genuine. So... Oh, did you eat? He he didn't say, yeah, I had a sandwich. It's like, well, I had a ham sandwich with mayo on it. That's cool. Like, oh, yeah. So because he's young. How old is he? Well, he is young, but he is not super far off from Gypsy's age. OK, Gypsy's real age. So they're both like early 20s. OK. Um. That being said, Nick goes on to say, like pretty much immediately into the interrogation, I'll admit it. I did actually stab her mom. I'll admit it. Oh. This is like within minutes. And that's huge. He just made their job a lot easier. Right. He actually makes their job very easy in many ways. But also in his interrogation, he goes on to say that he did it for Gypsy, for their future, because he loved her so much. Hmm. I want to butt in one thing here, and that is... They are being interrogated at the same time. So it's very cool to see that Gypsy's Revenge documentary sort of go back and forth in like real time of he's saying this at the exact same time as she's saying, my mom's dead. Yeah, right. Which is fascinating. But moving on. So when Nick was asked if Gypsy knew that he was going to do it, his answer was, uh, honestly, she asked me to. And this is where we'll get into the drama. Okay. So Nick recounts meeting Gypsy the same way she recounts meeting him, right? This online Christian dating site. And he says as they got closer and closer on, on the site and online, it only took a few days for them to decide they were going to be in a relationship with each other. But it wasn't until this interrogation and the investigation with everyone that we find out how big and how pertinent of a role Nicholas Godijan's background plays as a part in this. Okay. Because we all know that Gypsy's got shit. We know she's got physical ailments. I would say it is absolutely likely that you have mental health issues if you have chronic physical health issues early on in life. Not to mention it's just she doesn't seem like she has a very pro-social life. So we know she's got stuff. She's got no actual support. So yeah. Right. But 
Nick's mom confirmed that he has Asperger's and he has like diagnosed Asperger's. And according to doctors, he's never really going to mentally mature past 15 or 16 years old. So he is mentally delayed for certain. And the thing is, like, other than that, he was a really good kid. He only had trouble one other time with the police. Granted, it was icky. And I'll talk about it in a second. But before I do that, remember that we're talking about someone here who's on the autism spectrum. So his social awareness, battery rating, whatever, it's a little off, you know. Mm -hmm. But he was arrested a few years prior for watching porn and quote-unquote fondling himself in a McDonald's for nine hours. Wow. Nine is a lot. I think you're supposed to see a doctor after four. (laughs) And in a McDonald's. And like... Nothing gets my motor running like nugs. You know what? I get that. But also, in this, the year of whatever his name's birthday, so that everybody's getting these nasty-ass purple shakes. Yeah. Grimace, is that it? No. Grimace does not turn me on. That's okay. That's that's pretty... But yeah, it speaks to... The social awareness and right. what's what is acceptable societally, what you know, right, and also all, just kind of over his head. Whatever that obsession is, nine hours is a long time to do anything. Yeah, he's like fixated. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that is a really good example of how mental health plays into his world, even if it is just a part of the whole picture with Gypsy's case. I feel like in everything that I've listened to or watched on this, that mm-hmm. has been glossed over. Yeah. Is so, what state he was in. Because honestly, and we'll get there, but the defense's whole case was that he was mentally impaired, that he was less culpable because of that. But we see he gets a much more extreme sentence, which is fascinating. So anyway, um, Nick tells the investigator that there are multiple personalities inside of himself. Okay. This is something else we need to know. Now, my favorite Nick quote from this entire fucking thing is that this investigator asks if he'd been diagnosed. He's like, well, there's like many parts of me. And they're like, oh, has that been diagnosed? And he goes, I probably should be diagnosed with it because it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Aw. Oh, buddy. (laughs) On a real serious note, though, Nick did used to take meds for self-proclaimed schizophrenia symptoms. Okay. I don't know if he ever like totally confirmed or was diagnosed with schizophrenia or like a paranoid schizo personality disorder. I'm not sure. But he did take the meds because he had voices that he was hearing. Okay. And then I believe he was still on those because he didn't say that he ever stopped. But I also assume that means something had to be diagnosed for him to be given prescription meds for it. Right. And if he's in his early 20s, he's at the age where that would start to present anyway. Right. So it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't add up. So I also just want to say that Nick claims these voices just, quote unquote, became part of himself, which is a little scary to think about. And I, I get that. Gypsy did at one point in her various, you know, interviews investigations interrogations confirm that she had experienced this with him that he did have a quote-unquote evil side nick named his evil side victor he was a 300 year old vampire okay that's his personality that's evil that being said a psychologist later on doubts this i think i would too 
primarily because with disassociative identity disorder, that multiple personality disorder, um, there are consistent characters. And while Victor is a consistent character, he's the only one. And that's not super common for Mm -hmm. a multiple personality thing. Also, as the psychologist later notes, this may be due to the autism diagnosis and the way that he sort of deals with social interactions. So we'll talk about that in a few. But when Nick brings up the movie theater meeting, he says that Gypsy wanted to have sex with him. So they did it in the men's bathroom. He said, she just took me there. I didn't really have a choice and asked what they did afterwards. He said, we finished watching the movie. So he also went back into that movie theater and finished watching Cinderella. Okay. Which is just something they never follow up on. And I'm like, you did what now? (laughs) Y'all went and fucked in the bathroom and then came back to sit in different seats, a movie theater apart to finish watching a live action Cinderella film as two adults. Correct. Okay. So. (laughs) What what about it, Abby? Come on. I know. I know. Um, So at the end of Nick's investigation and. At the end of Nick's interrogation, he does deny having any sexual encounter with Dee Dee during the attack. The investigator asked, did he put his penis in, on, around, anywhere, Dee Dee's body? And Nick denied again and again. And the investigator asked about her mouth, and Nick again denied. And he said he didn't like necrophilia. Okay. He said, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I don't like necrophilia. He knows that. Okay. Then the investigator said Gypsy said something about Nick wanting to rape her mother. Oh, we'll get there. He goes, well, yeah, I was considering it. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Okay. However, Gypsy had a plan that would mean he didn't need to rape her mother. So he didn't. So you kill her and then we'll have sex afterwards. And then that way. Yeah. It's all set. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Wow, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> then Nick says after he stabbed her mother. 17 times. They had sex. Him and Gypsy, not still, him and Dee Dee. Still at the house. Yes. He said wow. it was consensual, that he'd never lay a hand on her if she didn't want. Okay. Yeah. So that's where we're at with Nick. Briefly, before we move on to Gypsy's interrogation, I did just want to talk a little bit about disassociative identity disorder so we can all be on the same page. This is also going to be in that added sheet with like vocab terms and stuff because it is kind of an intense mental health diagnosis that I think gets misrepresented a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll do this again quite soon. But for this brief pause, I do want to talk about disassociative identity disorder And this is what was previously known as multiple personality disorder. This is a fascinating mental illness. Previously, with that multiple personality disorder, there was a lot of like talk about how valid or true it is. And it seems, in my opinion, that this might just be almost like another twisted form of schizophrenia that has to do with a lot of childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to include the DSM-5 information on it as well as a practicing clinicians video um sort of explaining what like a day in the life with disassociative identity disorder yeah did did thank you yeah so did has diagnostic criteria that includes three different things first a person has to have a disruption of identity by a different personality state that is just one 
Two, there needs to be quote unquote gaps in memory more than usual. So you might not remember right now what you had for dinner two weeks ago, but if you put the context together, you said, I did this that day, I did this that day, and then I went here after dinner. You know what? I think I was with my mom. Lately, she's made like meatloaf and some Alfredo. Oh, Alfredo was last week. It must have been the meatloaf. You know what I mean? You can kind of like deduce your way there if you don't really remember something. Right. But someone with DID cannot remember for the life of them. They can have their entire calendar pulled out in front of them and they don't remember doing anything, even if they did it all. Because Because it's in their head a different person who did it. Right. They have a different quote unquote personality that was present. So those memories aren't accessible to them. And also because for that different personality to become present, you have to be dissociated there's like a detachment from reality when you go into a quote unquote like alter state. So that's a really big part of this. And this can go anywhere from like hours to days to weeks to months. I have not heard of anyone who's been in an alter for a year, but it wouldn't surprise me. That's just kind of how this goes. And for the most part, they can't really pick when they switch. They can like there are some coping tools to help like ground you and keep you from switching to a different personality but for the most part a lot of people say it's very internal and it's not really something you have a lot of control over if you're getting triggered and like stressed Mm -hmm. the last part of this is that it has to cause significant clinical distress or impairment which is most you know mental health issues right anybody can have some anxious tendencies some obsessive compulsive tendencies and not qualify for a diagnosis Because it doesn't get in the way of their life. It doesn't keep them from doing anything. It doesn't keep them from being a happy, healthy person. Mm -hmm. When that gets impaired on, that's when it becomes an issue. And so for some people, you might have memory gaps. Maybe tired you is crankier and maybe a little bitchier at me than well-rested you. Or, you know, I present differently to work than I would to go out on a girl's night out. Right. But that doesn't disrupt me. That's not unhealthy that's not antisocial like I can still have a very happy healthy and I would venture to say a happier healthier life because I can adjust to my audience Mm -hmm. that's not what this is and so the alters can sometimes have different voices like very distinct sounds in your head but from what I know it's not like they're going to take over your body and one's right-handed and one's left-handed right you know um some misconceptions about DID is that again that other personality takes over entirely so like if any of you have seen split the idea that like an evil monster can just kick you out of the main chair and take over that's not realistic and most people with did just kind of say they feel like they're split into parts you know like when this happens this personality in my brain comes out so it's more of like an internal happening than external And the other thing that I thought was interesting and important to talk about is that DID is often seen primarily as a result of childhood trauma. You know, we talk about that adrenaline response, that fight, flight, freeze, fawn, all of those things that happen when you're like pumped up in that life or death situation. And a lot of people hear about fight and flight because they rhyme. Freeze is getting more popular, which I'm excited about. There's also fawn, which is when you're like, oh, my God, and you like compliment someone because you're afraid you're going to like die. They're like, your house is so lovely. I'm so glad you kidnapped me and took me to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So those are kind of like your four adrenaline responses. Dissociative identity disorder comes from a childhood trauma that puts you in the freeze state. So that freeze causes dissociation that sort of separates you from the harm that's happening and the pain you feel. 
And that is where people have that room in that detached reality to sort of come up with an extra separate personality that might get you through that. Yeah, that is equipped to deal with it because you're not. Right. And I think that's kind of the theme for a lot of people, right? These other alters take care of needs that you have that you can't take care of on your own at that point or that you're not getting met or something like Mm -hmm. that. So I think if we look at this with Nick, I think that we can see that this really isn't likely in his case. I think Nick likely thinks he has this, but is probably projecting this as a diagnosis that makes him feel better than what the real diagnosis might be. In a later interview in Oxygen, Nick says that he, when he was 14, something clicked. He said he like remembers seeing, looking in the mirror and like seeing something he didn't recognize in his eyes, which is kind of an odd thing. Yes. He says there was like a shadow and he was really like afraid of it. And he wanted to explore it to like see what he was dealing with and hoped Gypsy would be the right one to do that with. And instead it ended up with him murdering her mother, basically. So not quite is what you're saying. Not quite a safe exploration. I kind of understand the want of like knowing what you're dealing with. But if you're that terrified of something inside of you, go to therapy. Please explore that with a therapist. Meet with a professional. A licensed mental health care professional. Um, Because it's a lot better than somebody else who is not trained and does not know what they're doing in a very like a very legitimate logistical way when it messes with your mental health and your safety. Mm -hmm. You need to be cautious about that. But um, obviously that's not the case. And Nick says that this darker part of him gets triggered by anger. And that it like totally takes away the sweet, innocent part of him. Like it's just not there. Which I find to be an interesting thing that you can say. Like this part of me just totally disappeared. Which if he really did meet DID criteria, he would not be able to articulate. He would not be able to articulate and also he wouldn't be able to remember any of this. Yeah, he wouldn't know what was done and said right i think he's using it as a crutch and a justification for when he decide when he acts on impulse and not reason and also i think that you know for him he might think that making a bad choice and sort of your conscious that goes along with that is a different person like i think the autism really interferes with his perspective on like social rules and normalcies and things like that where you and I can say I did a really bad thing and I regret doing that thing but that was me that did that thing Mm -hmm. he's like well that's not how I normally think so that wasn't me right and also the decision making and the impulsivity piece of it right being something that people with autism can struggle with especially like impulsive right thoughts and sometimes very violent actions and you know actually a lot of actions not most autistic people are not violent but that can be sort of like a rumination for anybody who gets stuck in those cycles right and i think to be able to point to that and say well that couldn't have been me because i wouldn't do that rather than right yeah just saying well it must be this other being that that exists inside me because i don't want to accept that i'm also capable of doing those things right exactly so i i get it i do think that it makes sense why he would think that he has it and i think it makes sense why it would be a misdiagnosis but it is important because that is another thing that almost never gets touched on when I hear about this case I was gonna say thank you for going into that and the differences because 
I always looked at it as he felt like some sort of protector over her and felt like the only way that he was going to have her was to like remove the mother rather than all of these other things going on under the surface and that he believes that probably she can save him, but he needs her first. Right. It's almost like they both set out to save the other one and neither of them was in a position to do that for themselves, let alone two people. Right. So. Now we're going to go to Gypsy's interrogation. Let's do it. All right. Gypsy's interrogation was harder for a plethora of reasons. This was so wild. It was so disconnected and in juxtaposition to Nick's where he had a clear motive. He had something to gain. He outright talked about doing it and he admitted it like word for word within a few minutes. Gypsy was not that way. Yes. While I can imagine and assume and project reasons of what a lifetime of of abuse at the hands of your doting mother will do. I think it's best that we just talk about what happened first. See, Gypsy didn't know the extent of the lie she lived. We all know she lived a lie because she could walk out to that police car last time, but she did not know what was true and what was false about her health. She knew she didn't need the wheelchair. She always knew that she didn't need the wheelchair. But her mother said that her muscular dystrophy would eventually degrade her muscles and joints enough that she would need it full time. And so she needed to practice being in it, save her energy, all of that. Yeah, she had to, even though she could use her legs, she had to do that sparingly. Right. Which wouldn't it end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy because the less you use those muscles, the more rigid they're going to get. So the less she walks, the more she's actually going to feel like she can't. Right. Exactly. And of course, then you're not like as you're growing up, if she got put in this wheelchair at eight, she had from years eight to like 19 of not walking, your body's getting bigger. Your body's changing. It's growing. Your legs need to be able to keep up. And I, you know, hers could for a decent amount, but it's not like she could go run a triathlon tomorrow. Like the kid's been sitting in a chair her whole life. Yeah. So she did not know anything else except that she could walk. And that's what makes a lot of this really hard is when we talk about the trial, we're going to talk a lot about the abuse that came with all of the false ailments, but she did not know they were false ailments. Oh, this is and this is where it hurts. And this is where you just wish someone scooped her up. Yes. And took her away from this woman who probably slept very well at night thinking she was doing a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the hard part about all of it is I I think so much of this is rooted in mental illness that so little of it is very intent, clear malice. Mm -hmm. Like I want to hurt you. Yeah. So I just it's fascinating. So, again, Gypsy knew very little of what was actually going on with her health. Initially, Gypsy denied everything. This guy came in and was like, your mother's dead. She's like, my mom said, ah, like I had no idea. Right. And she still got this like sickly sweet high voice. And it's like fake high voice still intact. She spoke so high that it was almost like imitating a kid. But it was notable that it was like imitating a kid. Yes. But I don't think she knew how to talk otherwise because her mom babied her her whole life. So that was like what she was allowed to sound like. But fake high voice still intact. She denied, denied, denied until she relented a little bit. And she said, "Okay, I was there, but Nick did it. And I don't know why he did it. 
And she was still afraid to change anything. Close, but no cigar. Another lie. Finally, Gypsy was given one more chance to be honest. Like, literally, this police officer was so sick of her shit. He was like, you don't. This is the time to be honest with me. Something happened. I know you had something to do with it. And it's going to be a lot better for everyone involved if you just fucking fess up. So she finally did. Gypsy breaks down. She explains it all. How her and Nick met. The plan. The execution. The truth. And when Gypsy talked about meeting Nick, she had, again, roughly that same story. They met on that free Christian dating site, hit it off, started dating. But Gypsy also said as things progressed, and this is a direct quote from her, they got weird. Mm. <laughs> so Gypsy brought up that Nick was really into BDSM, um, a kink community that has a lot to do with dominance and submission, as well as like sadism and masochism. Right. So like. Yep. There's a lot of things going on in that overarching umbrella kink. Um, Correct. And we're not here to yuck anyone's yum. No. But also the guy who probably was watching some pretty severe BDSM porn in the middle of a McDonald's For while slipping his hand in his pocket or, yeah, you know, is a little like that's the issue. <laughs> it's notable. <laughs> yes. yes. It's yeah. the way that that presents. Um, yeah. Because, again, especially consensually safe, not yucking anyone's yum. What's fascinating here is the way that these two played out. Because, again, if we remember, this entire relationship is online. It's all done via IMs, emails, Facebook messages, pictures, little videos, sort of like the entire way that the world is now, except extreme because these two had no other way to communicate. Right. So Gypsy says initially she didn't want to do it. She was kind of freaked out. She didn't know what it was. And if you Google it, I'm sure that it would be terrifying if you didn't know anything about it Mm -hmm. as a community. Nick allegedly sort of talked her into it, just sort of convincing her to try it and that she might have fun because, again, it's not like she was in person. It's not like he could do something she didn't want him to do. Anything she did, she had to do herself. And so this dynamic, while from my understanding is not, you know, I'm not at all super literate in the BDSM community. But it sounds like Gypsy was taught that she was supposed to be submissive and obedient. She called Nick her master and sir, I think. Um, And I, I think that was just during their sexy times, like not all the time. But we have later evidence to go through that might suggest otherwise. Hmm. Now, Gypsy says that Nick's ex messaged her around this time. Like on Facebook, she like sent her a Facebook message and his ex told Gypsy that he was a really bad guy who thinks he's a vampire. Gypsy wrote it off as a jealous ex. Later, Gypsy says, quote unquote, she was right. And if you I'm sorry, but if you look at the booking photos that Mm -hmm. are on our Instagram page. Yeah. um, And looking at him and I don't mean like I don't mean to be mean but i don't think that this other girl was like swooping back in like don't take my man yeah he's everything i wanted and more like it's not like the she's not sending this harrowing warning to her because she wants him back nope no 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 ma'am and honestly 
I think that it's kind of embarrassing to be an ex that reaches out. So there has to be enough of a reason that you're like girl to girl. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and not be in a mal- careful. not in a malicious way, but like I see you and I'm worried for you. Yeah, and all yeah. the pictures of you like you probably can't protect yourself yeah. in looking at like just how frail she looks and I think he's dangerous. Right. So here's So please, like yeah. any info. But you know, Gypsy did what Gypsy was going to do. And she was like, yeah, she was just like a jealous ex. And she didn't know it wasn't normal at the time. Like Gypsy was like, I I don't really think that there was much wrong. But she says now she's like, of course there was like we both had a lot wrong with us. And that's why it like felt normal. Right. But Gypsy has been isolated from every single person that could have been a peer to her anyone that was her age anyone she could have talked to even the females that she was allowed to spend time with were like handpicked by Dee, and then also berated for what they'd talk about right there was no guy her age that she was going to get to talk to so she meets this guy right who she believes is the 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 prince charming in the fairy tale which all that's all she's lived that's all she's been exposed to that's what she thinks she's looking for Someone gives her attention. This must be him. And this is where it picks up. And keep in mind, you know, she did not have a father figure. I mean, she did, but not one that was around, not one that Mm -hmm. was present. And, you know, not being able to be privy to other people's relationships, not having one role modeled for you. The first person that you meet that's going to be kind of nice to you and be like, I'm into sexy time and I want it with you Mm -hmm. as a kid. That would be like everything. So, of course, she's going to think that this is like this is a normal relationship. It's the only relationship she's ever had. Yeah, Her bras unclasped before she even sees him. She's like, right. this is it. Thank you know. God. Yeah. So Gypsy now says that she knows something is off with him. She doesn't know what it is. Just that there's something. And I was like, I think that's fair to say, because there are a couple interviews that are more recent that are interesting. But Gypsy stated that. With Nick, he had those multiple personalities and he wanted them to have girlfriends, too. So she came up with, like, characters for each of his personality. Oh. Well, uh, I know this is kind of a little trigger warning. I think it's a little uncomfy if you don't have this yum, not to yuck it. But there was one of her characters was Kitty. It was like a little girl personality compared to like he he had like a daddy dom thing going on. Then there was another one. I don't remember who this was for, but she came up with Candy, who was like a slutty personality. And then there was Ruby and she was the evil one to go with Victor. Okay. And she had like different wigs for all of these, like different dress up clothes because she plays dress up because that's her life. Right. Um, now, it's also important to note that almost the entirety of their relationship, again, online, but it was role play. So this role play, this online stuff, the dress up, the like, I'll take a little sexy video of you dressed up as candy. None of it was real. None of it's real. Yeah. And it all has to happen in the hours that Dee Dee is asleep. Right. Because Dee Dee's so fucking controlling the rest of the time. Right. That there's no way she would have gotten away with that. Even just like staying in her room was not enough. You know? And, and is this what Gypsy is sharing in these interviews? Yes. So now what I think is really important is that she's like an adolescent in her mind. Right. She's still a teenager going into her early 20s. But like socially, she's so delayed. She's so delayed. She never had the chance to exercise any of those. 
And this might be kind of icky to talk about, I guess, but like sexuality does start relatively young. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note here because I think a lot of this could have been uh, comfortably and safely avoided had she had a good relationship with an adult that she could talk about these things with. Um, or been allowed the friends who I think most people. Right. Th- that's that's socializing and that's human nature and. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the danger here is that with the abuse and the power and control from Dee Dee, as well as a lack of any formal healthy relationship, you know, she couldn't talk to her dad. Not that you'd really want to talk to your dad about that, but, you know, he's got a new wife. Maybe she could have talked to Misty or like, you mm-hmm. know, a friend who's had sex with like their ex-boyfriend and they want to be like, whoa, be careful because I did this. And like, I don't know that I'd do that again. It, she just didn't get any of those. There were no anecdotes. There were no warnings. There were no, this is the gr- the best part. And this is what you have to watch out for. Yeah, and her exposure to it's probably whatever it is that she's e- either the links he's sending her or right. what she's looking up at like two o'clock in the morning. Right. And I think all of that together had Dee Dee just been able to talk to her about it or let someone in her life that she could talk to about it, we might not have seen so many diet like social and power control dynamics within this couple Mm -hmm. because that really twists a lot of what happens in the trials and all of that so i think knowing just how little she trusted anyone is seen in this relationship with nick he's the only one who knew all her secrets and it still took a year for her to tell him that she could still walk Mm-hmm. Okay. so this one person she talks to every night she talks to about everything he knows she's in a wheelchair he knows about her mom he knows about everything it took her a year to tell him that she didn't need the wheelchair which is just fucking bananas absolutely can bananas. you imagine like being forced to sit in a chair your entire life you don't have to being forced to do that especially as a kid and then finding someone that you're like, ah, this person could actually take me away and we could have a good life. And it still takes you a year to trust them enough to be like, okay, I can walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Like she really, I think she believed a lot of what was going on. And this all comes out that night that she's, wow. Most of it, yeah. Yeah. So here's what I start to waver a little on the gypsy defense. All right. You know, take this as you will. I've been into this for a very long time. And for a very long time, I was like, I feel pretty fine about letting Gypsy out. I think it took doing a real deep dive to be like, where really is our culpability level here? And where I start to waver is that she does say that she never outright asked him to kill her. He had allegedly said she'd he'd protect her from anyone. And she goes, like, you know, any anybody? And he reaffirmed it. And Gypsy says, even my mom. And I guess that's where it started. But Gypsy started to call it like plan B. Plan A was like the movie theater. You know what I mean? Like there are all sorts of things. Maybe we can run away together. Maybe we can do this. And like to date currently, taking a pin in our interrogation, Nick says that he wishes he would have just gotten her pregnant so her mom had to let him around. That's where he's at right now. Um, Okay. But he says there were alternate routes than what we did, which is true. There were plenty. So taking the pin out, I think my stress is that she's calling it plan B. (laughs) So plan A, again, that movie theater date. Gypsy said she and Nick had planned to meet at this movie theater. Again, he took that bus all the way down to Missouri from Wisconsin, which is just a whole ass trip. 
um, Gypsy and Dee Dee went to that Cinderella movie and, you know, she was so devastated that Dee Dee hated Nick because she was like, I have no other way for you to know how I met him. I can't introduce you to him as like a friend from school because she doesn't go to school. She can't introduce him as like a friend she met outside because she's not allowed to go outside. And anywhere she goes that is outside, she's constantly handheld. So there's no way for her to be like to have organically met somebody. Right. Yeah. She has no ability. So she just was devastated because she was like, damn it. Like this was supposed to work. This is the only way it could have worked. And she was defeated. And I guess then option two was kill your mom. Which I, I I think there's a lot of options. Do I think it would have been smart or good or healthy for her to get pregnant? No. But that is another option. Mm-hmm. And it's less fatal. You know? But anyway, um, Gypsy had been asked why she didn't just tell her mom like she wanted to meet a friend. And it was because of all of that setup. She was not alone enough to have a friend to say, let's set this up. And that's what a lot of people would ask her. They'd be like, well, why why didn't you just make something up to your mom? And she was like, because I feared my mom more than anybody else. And that is a direct quote. She said a lot. And I feel awful that the one person that she feared the most was the one person whose validation she needed. Mm-hmm. But she was terrified of Dee Dee. In fact, after this whole movie theater situation, Dee Dee had handcuffed her to her bed and starved her for two weeks. We're going to get into all the abuse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not quite like. I'm disappointed that there was no plan between plan A and plan B, but movie theater gone wrong was not just like my mom doesn't like Nick. Yeah. It's, and I'm never going to be able to get out of here. Right. And so Gypsy says plan after plan after plan fell apart. And that's when she got desperate and said she texted Nick. I'm finally ready to accept that you're my everything. Powerful. Mm-hmm. Scary. I would have sent that at 15. Mm-hmm. And I probably did. Same. Babies. Big sorry to Snapchat. Babies. Yeah. Just yikes. So Gypsy says she waited long enough to get enough money for next ticket. She was paying for this. She didn't think he'd have enough money to get there on his own. So they had all of the donation money. They had like alimony stuff come in or whatever. And she'd whittle it away. Right. She'd take a little at a time so mom wouldn't notice until she had enough. In the Hulu series, The Act, with Joey King starring as Gypsy, she takes it from donation money. But I am not sure how realistic that is because in the show, like, Dee Dee's kind of portrayed as maybe a little manic with the money. Like she's always got like a little red envelope full of cash and like bill money. And so it's kind of like diversified into different Ziploc baggies, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not different accounts, but like different bags. So it seems like she took from one that wasn't necessarily like a necessary account. Mm. I don't know how realistic that is in real life. I don't know what that situation looked like. But after Nick arrived in Springfield, so like the day, Mm -hmm. the day of, Gypsy said she and her mom went to the store and it took Dee Dee a long time to fall asleep, but she went to bed really late. Gypsy had set everything up. Like when we talk about this, premeditation is not a fucking question. Everything was set up. She left gloves outside for Nick to grab before he came in. She got the murder weapon. She provided him that murder weapon. Um, she had the rope and the duct tape inside. Oh, 
And she texted Nick at the same time that she was just going to do her nails like a cute little pink. Okay. Yep. So Gypsy cries when telling this part, remembering that she acted like everything was fine and as her and Dee Dee painted each other's nails for one last time. Dee Dee painted Gypsy's nails that pink color and Gypsy had did Dee Dee's probably the same one because that seems kind of like how Dee Dee would roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had gotten into an argument that day. And when they made up, Gypsy said that she would be good. And she like sobs through all of this. Um, but before going to bed, Dee Dee told Gypsy, don't hurt me. Ugh. That was the last thing her mother said to her before she killed her mother, essentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, her literal last words were don't hurt me. So I get the crying. Oh, you know, I can't be too mad about that. So Nick had texted her when he got to her house and he said he told Gypsy to, quote unquote, get your ass to the bathroom. And she responded something like, yes, sir. And that's why I went, eek, ew, 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 Yeah. Because um, this is a plan to murder her mom. It's not like, hey, I want you to give me a blowjob in the shower. And she's like, yes, sir. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, this Ugh. is, yeah. It's a little incredibly inappropriate. Um, It all is. Yeah. And so Gypsy says she got to the bathroom and she says she was in a fetal position and covered her ears. Ugh. So she was not there. She did not see anything. Um, but when being asked what she heard, she said she hears Dee Dee wake up and she sounds startled. And then Gypsy says there were a few noises that she couldn't quite place. And finally, she hears Dee Dee say her name like a couple of times. Oh, uh, then she said, help me. And then there was silence. Oh. Uh, now, something that I found interesting was this trigger warning rape bit. Nick had originally said that if he was going to do it, he would, he wanted to do it his way. Okay. So he's the one that came up with the knife, the time, location, all of that. Gypsy provided it, but he came up with it. Mm-hmm. The other thing he wanted to do that was his way was rape Dee Dee. Ugh. And Gypsy said that she made a deal with him, that he could rape her, but not her mom. What? I don't know how consensual rape happens. Yeah. But that's what she said. And now. I don't even know what to fucking make of this. In my notes, <laughs> I literally wrote what the damn hell. Like, <laughs> What the damn hell? What on the fall on fuck? How can you do this? Don't know how it fits into the plan. Don't know how you can be like, don't rape my mom. Rape me. Just kill her. Ugh. I don't. I don't know. So afterwards, Gypsy said they did have sex, but she, unlike Nick, did not consider it to be consensual. Okay. Because even though she said that he could do that instead of raping her mom, by the time they started, she says that she screamed stop and he did not. Obviously, no means no. And obviously, yes means yes. I don't know what to make of the no's and the yeses in a planned consensual raping after murdering someone's mother. And what pulling out of that looks like? No pun intended. Oh. So. Interesting. I didn't know about that part. I'll be honest. Yeah. Where the stories start to collide is here. Afterwards, the two wiped down all the fingerprints they could think of. They wiped down the weapon. They wiped down the house. Probably Dee Dee. Make sure that his prints are nowhere and hers are only in the places that they're supposed to be. 
-hmm. allegedly. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, if, if your she house, lives there, they're going to be everywhere. Sense. Yep. The two get a cab and they get a hotel. Mm -hmm. There's a creepy ass video you can watch where she's like, I'm filming you. I've seen and that. And he's like eating a brownie and she's like, we're in a hotel, honey. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Um, and then after they wake up, the two take a Greyhound bus back to his hometown in Wisconsin. Big Bend, Wisconsin. It's probably the first time she's ever like been out. It is the first time she's ever been out, not with her mom. Or in a wheelchair. Yep. Um, so she is free as a bird. She's like, oh, my God, I can walk. I can do things on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and something I find particularly <laughs> curious about this case is that Nick never really asked his parents if she could live with him. He just showed up with her. Yeah. And like his parents knew about her because, again, it had been like a few years. So it's not like they'd never met over FaceTime or the phone, but they'd never met in person. Right. And as far as they knew, she was like homeless. So I think he just told them when he was coming back, he brought her with because she got, quote unquote, like kicked out of the shelter, which is a lie. None of that is true. Right. But I think that's all his parents knew. So. I, I don't know. My parents would like kick my ass if I was like, great, this person's here and is going to live with us forever. Hell no. And not really. But they'd be like, what the fuck? This is my house. What are you no, doing? No, you can't do that. Like, <laughs> so Nick's mom actually was, you know, the night of the interrogation and like the initial um, interviews, Nick's mom talks about picking them up. She's like, yeah, I was told Gypsy was homeless. So when she got there, the mom was like, oh, like, how's your mom? How's life? Like, just the usual. And they acted like everything was totally normal. Ugh. Oh, she's good. She's great. Thank you so much for asking. And again, it was the first time they'd met in person. It's weird. There's like texts between Gypsy and Nick of like, what should I wear to impress your family? And it's like, are we worrying about this while we're talking about the murder of your mother? Oh, and I get distraction, but you might not need a distraction from something you decide to do if you decide not to do it. Correct. What do I know? Um, and then everything else seemed normal. Even Nick's stepdad was like, I don't like her, but it's only because it freaked me out that she had a wig on. Yeah. And like Gypsy does have a lot of bad wigs. No offense. They're terrible None. wigs. I mean, her mom shaved her head every day so that she was bald for her entire life. I get wanting wigs, but they are bad wigs. <laughs> They're not, it's not that they're bad wigs, but like they're so obviously child wigs from like yes. a princess Halloween costume yes. that they're so plasticky and poorly made and not and designed like, for daily one's use. This Ariel and this one's Cinderella's yeah, hair. Like, yeah. You know that that braid, that dark braid she has is Jasmine's right. from that, you know, eight to ten year old fucking. Yes play suit thing so yeah i mean yeah none of it looks good no and you know i know it's what she had but that's the only thing the stepdad noted he was like yeah she seemed fine i didn't think her wig looked good yep like <laughs> if that's all you have to say they're doing a pretty fucking convincing job right so also a side comment here in the interrogation videos nick's stepdad had a small child with him Oh, I don't know if this is a child from a previous relationship or a child that him and Nick's mom had together or hmm. what. But this is like an elementary school kid. This is inappropriate for him to be in on. Don't let your seven year old hear about your 
adult son's BDSM sex life with the girl whose mother he just killed. That's like a babysitter occasion. Oh, he heard. Oh. That's like a babysitter occasion in my point of view. Yuck. But anyway, um, the Saturday after they got back, this is the other thing that came out that night in the interrogations. Gypsy and Nick killed Dee Dee on June 9th, 2015. Mm-hmm. All right. The Facebook post went up on June 14th, 2015. Okay. So they had a few days to get back to Wisconsin, get their affairs in order. Mm-hmm. They said the Saturday after, so I did my math, which is probably June 13th, an envelope came in the mail for Nick. And what his parents didn't know was that in this envelope, the murder weapon was there, as well as the gloves used. They shipped it to his house from her house that it wouldn't be in her home when Dee Dee's body was discovered. Like, thinking this shit through. Okay. But yeah, yeah, this was very planned. And still... Also, by the way, the gloves were fucking bloody still. They didn't even, like, wash those off. Oh, jeez. Which I'm like, no offense, but if you're going to try to clean up a scene, can you clean it up? Because they know that she's been stabbed. They have Dee Dee's blood everywhere. A little down the sink isn't going to tell them much. Yeah. But anyway, what do I know? I just love shipping biohazards everywhere. Mm-hmm. So this envelope with all of these goodies in it also contained the last goodie that they got which was an envelope of cash between four and five thousand dollars okay and as far as the facebook posts went gypsy posted them the bitch is dead came first on dj blanchard's facebook account again june 14th five days after killing her mom she waited five days which just feels like a lot, especially because she said her her whole point in doing it was she wanted the cops to find the body. OK. Yeah. There was also a comment underneath the initial post. And the comment from DJ Blanchard said, <clears throat> this is a direct quote. I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter, dot, dot, dot. Her scream was so fucking loud, LOL. Oh, my God. And that was posted at like 3 p.m. Doesn't that feel wrong? That is not an afternoon kind of content. I don't know. I don't think it's 3 a.m. Your followers see it first thing in the morning either. I, no, that's, I don't. That's it's all a, bad. That's not a before coffee or a before dinner no. or after. Yeah, that's not... So it did the, the first one Five came from Gypsy later. and then the second one was probably him writing it? No, she was pretending to be him writing it. Oh, okay. So it sounded like what he would say, but he did not write it. Okay. Also something... He probably f- did say it, but... <laughs> probably. Um, something kind of funny, low-key, that I think is funny is the grammatical choices that were used in these. The comment that... I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. All of that is in caps, except for fucking, which is spelled F-U-C-K-E-N. It's like she was afraid to swear aloud. Yes. Yup. I fucking slashed that fat... Jesus Christ. Yes. That's how it reads. It's incredible. What a fucking... I would hate to be the person that read that Facebook post for the first time. I'd be like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Anyway, so now this isn't actually something that happened in a physical event, but I also wanted to talk about the investigation on Dee Dee. 
because that's also huge in this case. Okay. So for those of us in the criminal justice realm, we talk about a thing called victimology. It's a little bit different than criminology, right? Criminology is studying crimes, criminals, all of that. Mm-hmm. Victimology is why this victim? What does this victim have to say about our offender? What is the... What boxes does this victim check? Right. What can that tell us about the crime, what happened, and the motive for this person? Because that's always going to lead you to who, right? Mm-hmm. If you know the why, you're damn close to the who. So remember earlier when we said we'd revisit some more of Dee Dee's wrongdoings? Yes. Well, now's the time. Okay. So Dee Dee's stepmother said that if something didn't go her way, Dee Dee would see to it that you paid. Okay. Which is kind of an ominous statement from your stepmother. I find this interesting, more interesting than what Rod said about her getting involved in witchcraft and having a pet tarantula. Um, again, I get it, but some people cough, cough, all of us into true crime, like the spooky shit, and don't ever anticipate being a part of it. No, not even a little bit. No, I'm not really a tarantula girly, but I can respect people that want weird pets. So the fact that she didn't get what she wanted doesn't really shock me all that much. But the fact that if she didn't get what she wanted, she got revenge stuck out, especially in tandem with the fact that when her nephew was interviewed... Dee Dee's own fucking nephew called her an evil person, like straight up outright. Dee Dee's nephew recounted the intense credit card debt that Dee Dee put her father and other family members credit cards into. Um, Not to mention, this seemingly never occurred to anyone to bring forward before she got killed. But Dee Dee was wanted. What? In Louisiana. She wrote bad checks up and down Louisiana. So my question to you is, did Katrina really displace these two? Or was it that she was wanted in so many places in Louisiana that a fresh start sounded great and Katrina worked out in their favor? Literally the perfect storm. Also, in that HBO documentary, Mommy, Dead, and Dearest, Dee Dee's father, um, Dee Dee's father and stepmother were interviewed and they both confirmed that over a significant period of time, Dee Dee was putting trace amounts of poison into her stepmother's food. What? Yes. To the point where Dee Dee's father said he wasn't sure if his wife would make it. She couldn't get out of bed for nine months. Holy shiznits. And there was nothing she couldn't get away with is the line that the stepmother said that like rang in my ears after that. Wow. She straight up poisoned this woman for months. No Jeez. charges. Nothing came of it. And they were both like, yeah, I couldn't. she couldn't get out of bed. And then she, she went on bedridden. To, then she went on to have a kid and miraculously the kid also can't get out of bed. And now stepmom is better. Yep. Right? Well. So another interesting question raised after the fact was Dee Dee's bio mom, her original mom. See, we talked earlier about Dee Dee living like her mother's shadow. Wherever Anne went, Dee Dee went. But Dee Dee was in the house when her mom died. According to their siblings, that's when she allegedly went off the deep end. Now, they question if she was involved in her mother's murder as well. Oh, they think her mom was murdered? By Dee Dee. Wow. Allegedly, she left her sickly mother frequently soiled and dirty, often starving her and feeling it a nuisance to bring her food. What the fuck? But but she was so close with her mom Mm -hmm. and like 
they had a positive relationship or from the outside. Exactly. We don't know. Mm. And if all we know is that quote unquote Dee Dee did a gypsy, what Dee Dee's mom Anne did to her. I'm not sure how good it was. Oh, so we. Okay. I don't know. I have no clue. From the outside, it looks great. But from the outside, so did Dee Dee and Gypsy. So we think that Dee Dee was treated poorly by her mom? I kind of think so. They did say that Dee Dee had a heart murmur, but mm-hmm. nobody ever confirmed as to whether or not that was real or that was the mom like deciding that there was a heart murmur issue mm. because the mom was the one that was particular that Dee Dee didn't go out. The mom made sure that Dee Dee didn't do chores. The mom made sure that Dee Dee slept with her. And, y- you know, is that really a heart murmur or are you saying that there's a heart murmur and that's why they all feel comfortable saying like this is generational, you right. know, or are they saying that the rumination and the fixation and like the obsessiveness of all of this is generational i don't know could be either Hmm. but they do suspect that she might have had a hand in that especially after you're poisoning your fucking stepmother yeah and you know you're in the house when she dies but you're also the one that doesn't want to bring her food or take care of her do any of those things yeah so i i suppose there are a lot of questions and not a lot of answers what an awful way to go My main goal in pointing this out is just to, you know, reinforce what do we really know about Dee Dee? Because this is the most information I've found on her in years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is still alleged. Yeah. I want to know more about Claudine Petrie, not Dee Dee Blanchard. Right. You know? So Gypsy might not have been her own individual or maybe she hid her personality behind the abuse and persona she was forced to play by Dee Dee. That's kind of my take. Mm-hmm. Gypsy was the perfect daughter because Gypsy's life was hell if she was not the perfect daughter. Right. And so, yeah, of course, Dee Dee hid and stunted her child's growth and own personality for a long time. But Dee Dee also hid her personality behind her caretaker role. Mm-hmm. People didn't know what her favorite band was. People didn't know what Dee Dee's favorite color was. They knew that... Dee Dee had to take Gypsy to treatment on Thursdays. That's it. And that, those are very different things to know someone and to know someone's life and appointments, you know? Right. So, you know, Dee Dee, doting mother, loving, selfless, caretaker. And yet the people who know her most intimately call her evil and dark and guilty. Not great. All of which to the point that after hearing she was dead, Her father and stepmother thought it was a trick. Mm. They did not believe she was dead. Yeah. And when the nephew heard about it, he goes, oh, who'd she piss off this time? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody else, she was a stoting, loving mother. Mm. So I want to talk about factitious disorder imposed on another. This is another one of those little blips that we're just going to get into. For those of you who will hear this and forget or just want to reference again, I'm going to say that I attached that extra sheet. It's got my resources, some vocab. But I want to get into Munchausen's by proxy or what is now called factitious disorder imposed on another. This is a mental illness to which one person either makes someone else sick or pretends someone else sick. There are many motivations, but a big part of it is that the person with factitious disorder gets praised as a caretaker for attending to someone else it's almost like this fearless hero kind of persona that gets put on these people and a big reputation gets slapped on the back of the person who 
spends their entire life taking care of someone else. Everybody wants to commend that, right? Everybody wants to help. And so it's not frequent that Munchausen's by proxy or factitious disorder imposed on another is really exploited for that. But it's easy to see where that person would get some notoriety for being selfless. Right. So Gypsy's story is one incredible feat after another. It started when she was little. Dee Dee said that she had sleep apnea. Remember? Mm -hmm. And then the sleep apnea turned into seizures which turned into leukemia, which turned into muscular dystrophy, which turned into getting her stomach lining wrapped around her esophagus, which turned into getting a feeding tube, which turned into needing a feeding tube for every meal she had. Mm. You have to replace those a lot too. And that turned into getting her salivary glands removed, which turned into being in a wheelchair, never being allowed to walk, which turned into meds, which turned into meds, which turned into more meds. And all of those meds rotted Gypsy's teeth, which turned into her getting all of her teeth removed. Poor thing. Which turned into a manipulative pair of dentures, and it just fucking spiraled. That was Gypsy's life. Mm. It's hard to build a case for Gypsy knowing the timeline, though. And again, my interest in this whole case had a presumed notion that Gypsy somehow knew all of it was fake this time. This whole time. Not so much. What's sad is that Gypsy believed most of it and still felt desperate enough to kill the only caretaker that she had. Gypsy didn't even know how old she was. She says she started to put it together around age 19 when her mother changed her birth certificate date from 1991 to 1995. Oh. Because, of course, then you can keep power over a minor easier than you could with an adult. And you can get a check from the government right. to have a child. A child dependent, which is different than an adult dependent, right? If yep. we're looking at fiscal benefits. Yeah, and if she's getting disability money from it, yeah, the whole the whole nine. Yeah. And so, you know, it was lucrative and helpful for Dee Dee for Gypsy to stay young. And this always was what stuck out to Gypsy. She didn't know how old she was. Anytime she'd ask her mom, the year would change. Rod wasn't allowed to say happy 18th birthday. Oh, you know, um, and Dee Dee told Rod that like all of her seizures took her back mentally. So like she might be 18, but she's had three seizures. So she's really only like 10, you know? What? Yeah. Yeah. And so Dee Dee also refused to tell Gypsy how old she was, which makes sense. She would just give her a new answer every time. Ugh. Naturally, staying a child was probably great for a bit until Gypsy was ready to grow up. And then it did a lot more harm than good. I think initially when you're a kid and you're like, I don't want to grow up. And then you have to face something hard. You're like, never mind. I want to be a kid forever. You do it. Mm hmm. I think that would probably be kind of reassuring to have a mom be like, it's okay. It's okay. Like you can be my baby forever. And then you get to like 16 and you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to go out and drink in a random field with a bunch of like high school boys. Mm -hmm. And your mom's like, be a baby. Like yes. talking the baby voice. I'd right. be like, ah. I know I'd lose the voice thing would absolutely kill me. I can't, I can't with the fake high voices uh -uh. so bad. But Gypsy was 20 and like 2021 20, and still looked like a 10 year old. I know. You know, like nobody would talk to her normally because even if Dee Dee hadn't called her mentally delayed, no kids know what to say to someone else with a heavy diagnosis, you mm -hmm. know, and let alone somebody else with a heavy diagnosis is still a kid. That's so confusing. And so this whole piece about shaving her head. 
yeah. was just because Dee Dee had made up the fact that Gypsy had leukemia. She didn't, yeah. but she's bald. Yeah, so she would actually shave her head in the sink um, and tell her that it was going to fall out anyway, so they might as well keep it neat. Okay. Oh, come on. Yeah. So Gypsy couldn't talk to boys, couldn't talk in a normal voice, couldn't watch age-appropriate movies, couldn't read magazines. And normally that's going to lead to resentment, pent-up frustration, and likely some very real developmental delays. Not that the meds and quote-unquote treatment courses Gypsy was going through didn't do their own damage. The meds are what made her teeth rot. The meds are why she got all of her teeth removed. But who was the doctor prescribing the meds that allowed that to happen? Exactly. So Gypsy has said in recent years that when she was growing up, she didn't think any abuse was going on. I mean, I think that's normal for people in very toxic places, especially in their home life, because that's all you know. Mm -hmm. But Gypsy sort of to an extreme extent, because she didn't know school. She didn't know other people's family. She never got close enough with someone else to go over to a sleepover enough for someone else's parents to go, hey, sweetie, how was school this week? What's going on? Because she never was allowed. And so, of course, she doesn't know any different. And the list that Dee Dee gave to all of Gypsy's medical providers following Hurricane Katrina had the following listed. Uh, Funny enough, in my opinion, a lot of these words are misspelled. Um, (laughs) But Gypsy had epilepsy, vision impaired, hearing impaired, GI reflux, quadriplegia, muscular dystrophy, anemia, hypoventilation, asthma, allergies, mild mental retardation, leukemia, incontinence, lung disease, and a heart murmur. Hmm. Allegedly. At least the heart murmur could be genetic. Maybe. But none of these other things were real. And Gypsy had to take a ton of medications. In fact, the only fucking organized part of Dee Dee Blanchard's home was the medicine cabinet. Wow. It's this pigsty and then a perfectly organized medicine cabinet. Ugh. And they were all written on in like child terms. Like baby sleepy was on like like a sleeping aid one. Like that's what she wrote yeah, on like them to sleepy baby. Ugh. Yep. Gypsy again had to be in the chair at all times. She had to wear a CPAP machine to breathe at night, which she claims made her breathing worse, which was probably true if her breathing was fine. Um, and she had a feeding tube despite having all ability and functionality to eat before her salivary glands got removed and then all of her teeth. Ugh. And while I understand that factitious disorders can often be for attention, I think it's naive to say that power and control is not also a huge element of this disorder. Gypsy, by all means, was a healthy, loving, happy child forced to become sick and dependent. And despite her young and able body, her mom picked what food went straight to her stomach. Her mom picked what meds went straight to her stomach. There wasn't even a way where she could pretend to swallow them and hide a pill under her tongue. She was entirely at the will of that feeding tube and the person putting the food in it. Ugh. So Gypsy couldn't taste anything. Gypsy's medication was also administered through her feeding tube. And so was everything fucking else. Poor Can you imagine thing. being a kid and never getting to eat a key, like a piece of cake at a no. party? I mean, maybe it got put in her feeding tube, but she never tasted it. Oh. So, according to the medical files that we do have on hand, Gypsy was brought to the hospital over a hundred times between 2005 and 2014. Wow. That's over 10 times a year. And that's the hospital. That's not even like an urgent care doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Anytime they went to the doctor, Gypsy didn't do the talking. She was told to play with a doll, a stuffed animal, while Dee Dee did the rest. And the only thing that Gypsy knew was that she could walk, but Dee Dee told her that the muscular dystrophy would take it away. So Gypsy killed her mom, knowing everything was true except the wheelchair. Wow. Or think, well, yeah, thinking everything else was yeah. true. The, er, so she was willing to go without the medication she believed she needed. Yeah. All of these things she believed that she needed except the wheelchair, but it was still worth it. Yeah. The abuse that she suffered was worth knowing that she might literally die to kill her mother, but she would be free in the few days she had. Wow. So the trial was fascinating because a lot of information only came out after the two got caught, right? It was pretty big news that Missouri did not press for the death penalty. And I think there's a lot of reasons why. So I'm going to go deeply into Gypsy's trial. I'll touch on Nick's trial. And then we'll look at Gypsy today. Okay. All right. So Gypsy's trial was wild. Her team of lawyers put together a plethora of mitigating evidence. For those of you who don't know, mitigating evidence is like, Evidence that suggests the crimes wasn't as malicious or as bad as it originally is. Something to, like, take the responsibility down to mitigate it. Um, Murder is very hard to do that for. Correct. But in that HBO documentary, the lawyers pull out what looks like a full-ass ream of paper. And it has the list of surgeries that Gypsy underwent. Like, this is what looks like, you know, when you see those big paper trucks and they deliver, like, the big stacks? Mm-hmm. of paper like it's more than one of those oh, of wow. the surgeries that she had been through in her lifetime mm. and so it is no question in my mind and i'm not debating the fact that factitious disorder imposed on another is absolutely child abuse what i am questioning is how legitimate these theories can be if gypsy didn't know until well after her capture so Gypsy did go through significant child abuse. Something else brought up in significant detail was her medical history, where Gypsy was failed as a child by every other adult in her life. You know, it's noted that Gypsy's family history changed significantly based on whatever doctor they were at. For example, if it was a cardiologist, Gypsy suddenly had a bunch of aunts and uncles who died of a heart attack. That weren't mentioned anywhere else. And it's pretty fucking important for all of that, you know, family history stuff to be true because that tells us how worried we need to be yeah but if everyone wanted them all really worried right exactly and so anyway they could come up with extra alarm Dee took gypsy and amped it right up one doctor dr bernardo flasserstein actually wrote the letter that indicates that Dee was not a good historian and he believed there to be munchausen by proxy happening the concern was he bolded and underlined that and sent it to his supervisor or her normal pediatrician or something. He did not send a case into DCFS. And if he had done that, it could have probably all stopped. Yeah. And, you know, Gypsy allegedly not being able to walk for nine years by the time she spoke with Dr. Bernardo, she should not have had any muscle definition in her legs. Mm-hmm. She did. She could walk. She had strong legs. So he was like, I don't think that's normal. Your reflexes look maybe a little different, but like, I don't think that this is accurate. And when he wrote that letter, um, he believed there was a strong chance of Munchausen by proxy. But because he didn't report it to child services, 
no one thought that she was being neglected. He was like, if anything, I thought her mom was doing more for her than she needed, like an overprotective mother. Right. Which is really hard to see through of like, this is an overbearing mom. Is it because she's up to no good or because she wants the best for her kid? Yeah, because she wears it like it's advocacy. Right. And in this HBO documentary that Mommy Dead and Dearest, he actually says he didn't think there was enough evidence to show that it was happening and that he thinks because of that it would have been turned down as an investigation and I'm like bullshit your entire role as a mandated reporter is not to decide what that investigation will bring it's to say something needs to get looked into it could be totally fine yeah and they could at that time determine that there's no need to move forward with it but that's their call not yours if you see something you need to report that anyway That's due diligence. And I love due diligence because you're being diligent. Uh (laughs) So funny enough, actually, um, they never went back to that hospital after that letter was written. I am sure they did not. You want to know how? Mm -hmm. Because at first I was like, how the fuck would Dee Dee know? She requests all the fucking health records. And Uh, that gets put in in Gypsy's file. Why would you put that in her file? So she left a bad Yelp for him. Probably. And and moved right on. Yep. So one of the fascinating bits Gypsy's lawyer brought up was that he, you know, he couldn't figure out how she knew when to move on. And that's when we saw all of the requested health records that they were like, oh, that's not good. That's like a a safety net safeguard in the system that is not working. I don't know if that was ever amended, by the way. But when he looked at her file as a whole, like Gypsy's, Didi requested medical files all the time from everywhere they went and that makes sense because if you're going to claim that they were all lost you probably want the ones that say the right things but it also meant she knew exactly where to avoid one of the red flags Aaliyah, gypsy's neighborhood like best friend said was that when gypsy was around she would never talk about anything personal in front of Didi. it would always be like did you see that this new movie came out it would not be like oh my gosh i'm dealing with this or i'm dealing with that Right. And Aaliyah was like, I think at the time I just thought her mom was like overbearing. But now that's like a red flag. If you can't talk about your life with that person present. And of course, Dee Dee was always fucking present. So Gypsy had gone on to say that when she was with her mother, Dee Dee would always hold her hand. Like it was 100% of the time their hands were held. And she said originally it was kind of nice, but more than anything, it was that she could like inconspicuously get Gypsy to shut up if she said something wrong. Gypsy said that one squeeze of the hand, Gypsy would quote unquote zip it. That was the rule. So wow. if you watch interviews with the two of them, I watch their hands now and I see where Gypsy stops talking. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And again, the abuse wasn't just psychological. It was absolutely psychological, but it also came in physical punishments, slaps, getting beaten with coat hangers. The amount of beatings directly correlating with, quote unquote, how bad Gypsy was. And this turned into all sorts of abuse. Again, she got handcuffed to her bed for two weeks. Like Gypsy relays the first time she tried to run away. She tried to run away a bunch. And the first time she met a friend at I think it was a Comic-Con and she was like, hey, um, told him what was going on. And he was like, "Okay, you can come stay here for a while. So she packs up. She gets there in the middle of the night. And when her mom found her, it was within like four hours. So had found her cross state lines within four hours and told this 
friend from Comic-Con that Gypsy was like 14 and that like freaked him out, right? Yep. Because you're like, oh my gosh, now there's this minor here. Oh yeah. shit. Um, which wasn't true, but nobody can fucking tell because Gypsy looks like she's six. Right. And there's no fucking actual birth certificate. Right. And so Gypsy gets home with her mom feeling like she's never ever going to escape this hell ever because she can't even run away for 12 hours. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, And Gypsy recounts being handcuffed to her bed for two weeks. Gypsy says that the whole that whole year is what she called the quote unquote bad times and seems to be when Dee Dee's attempt at extreme assertion of power and control like skyrockets. Hmm. Dee Dee at this time also convinced a lawyer to draft up an incompetence paper so that she could take guardianship over Gypsy. And this also meant she could take control over her finances, over her medical records. And the thing that this did to Gypsy was convince her that if she ever tried to come forward, that that would be on her record and everyone would say, you're crazy and you don't know what you're talking about. You're incompetent. That's why you have a guardian. But the guardian was the issue. And so ultimately in Gypsy's trial, Gypsy is charged with murder in the second degree. And naturally, conspiracy, of course. So in 2016, at 24 years old, with a second grade education, Gypsy pled guilty to second degree murder in the case of her mother. She was sentenced to 10 years in the Missouri Department of Corrections with the eligibility of parole after eight and a half years. Wow. For those of you doing the math, she's eligible for parole next year in 2024. Nick's trial. My favorite parts of Nick's trial was that it was a four-day trial, and they used a shit ton of texts. They used text evidence all over the place. Mm. And I know they did that in Gypsies, too. I think it is kind of funny to see some of these, like, submitted into a court of law. And you can tell that she did not think that they were going to do that or Mm. be able to, because, like, you know, in some of the documentaries, they talk about her relationship with, like, her family and stuff. And at one point, they were like, yeah, they brought up texts, and she looked back at us, like, freaked out, like... I did not think you were going to see those. (laughs) So, again, four-day trial, they used a lot of texts. The two major ones that are used across a variety of documentaries were from Nick to Gypsy that said, babe, it's my evil side doing it. Mm. Followed by, he won't mess up. He enjoys killing. But I found out from one of the episodes when the texts were sent. And it was like 7.45 a.m. These two be talking murder at the wildest times. I'm like, (laughs) I need coffee. What are you doing? My evil side won't mess up. He likes killing. I'm like, I I like cream and sugar, please. And a double espresso. Who's doing that before 8 a.m.? So (laughs) anyway. Um, Nick obviously couldn't refute the fact that he did this. Not only did he admit it like directly. But all the planning is in the right, text. It's all there. And he did an interview with a reporter like uh, this, I think, was over the summer. He did this interview in like January with the reporter. And in the fucking interview, he was like, before I actually stabbed her, I took a minute and I thought, do I really want to go through with this? Which, like, for those of you who don't know, that's a literal gold mine of evidence for a murder in the first degree trial. It's premeditated. It's thought through. And not only is it thought through, you took a minute right before to be like, do I really want to do this? You can't say it was like the, the heat of the moment or the right. passion. 
she was not doing anything. She was asleep, and you went, hmm, do right. I want... Yeah, no, I really no, mm-hmm. do. Uh, and Nick, I will say this. The one thing that's a big discrepancy between his story in his interrogation and what comes out is that he says he only stabbed Dee Dee four times. There's no evidence that Gypsy stabbed her mother. Mm-hmm. So either he blacked out after four stabbings, he didn't remember 17 stabbings, which is also concerning and maybe points more to a DID diagnosis, or he just straight up lied about it. So we don't know. Eh, I think he lied. So um, Nick's attorneys obviously knew that they couldn't say that he didn't do this. So their hope was to plea that he was not mentally fit and like did not understand because of his autism and that he was quote unquote like manipulated by Gypsy. So the Hmm. defense wanted to prove that Gypsy was the mastermind behind all of this. Okay. And I will say Gypsy gave a very good testimony to discuss her role, including that she provided the weapon, told him that she wanted her dead and helping fiscally. Mm -hmm. She admitted all of that on record in his trial for the defense. And while I think this testimony was helpful, I also think that it caused um, a better case for like the culpability, but not the actual responsibility. You know, I think that the idea that he did it because he was in love and that his mental health diagnosis meant that his intelligence wasn't really past that of like a teenager. But if you were to see a 16 year old murder someone, they would still be tried as, as an adult. Right. Ultimately, that defense didn't really help Nick because... In all terms of the charge and sentence, it would have been the same. So he was delayed, but he was still delayed to a responsible age. Yeah, if they're not like they're saying he's eight years old. Right. Which would have put him at, oh, okay, he wouldn't have been capable at the time. Right. Even if 16-year-old Nick, actually 16 years old, did this, he'd be still sitting in that right. seat. Exactly. And so I think that Gypsy taking the stand worked for both of them, but in different ways than they thought. Gypsy, it was like, all right, I'm open. I'm talking. I'm telling you about this. I'm being completely honest now. Like, all, everything you have matches up with what I'm saying. Here's all of it on the table. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was like, this. he did not work alone. This wasn't his idea. But the state did a really good job chipping away at this Gypsy mastermind defense. They put a lot of thought into this, that Nick was the one who decided the day, the time, the type of weapon. Nick's the one that stabbed Dee Dee 17 times. Gypsy didn't ask for that. Nick was the one who wanted to rape her mom. Gypsy didn't ask for that. Gypsy asked to be protected from and free from her mom and said she wished her mom was dead. Nick came up with the rest. And so I think this was a really good way of doing it. Like, And by doing it, I mean proving that Nick wasn't necessarily like manipulated and twisted into doing this thing. He played a very active role in it, even if they both are incredibly mentally ill. Mm -hmm. He played a very active role. And so when they did bring up the idea that Nick wanted to rape Dee Dee, Gypsy, you know, where Gypsy offered herself up instead. So, yeah, they also pull that quote from back in Nick's interrogation where they talk about him raping gypsy instead of Dee Dee, and he goes well yeah i was like i was the one in charge but she went along with it willingly Mm. yeah so this trial took down some of the dissociative identity disorder stuff again they had to note it it's a very important you know piece of this 
puzzle to see how responsible Nick was, how, you know, with it he was. But a psychologist, Dr. John De La Tour, said that due to Nick's autism, he may have considered his different personalities to just be like his masks, sort of like we were talking. Mm -hmm. You know, you change, you know, your dialect, your actions based off of your audience. I'm not going to say, what's up, bitch, to like my mom, but like I might to a friend who thinks that's funny, you know? Right. You're not going to say that to your boss. Right. There, there are different places and times for certain things. And this psychologist, Dr. De La Tour, thinks that Nick's sort of rationale and processing of that might have come across as like he thinks he has different personalities. So instead of being able to say, like, I did something evil, he's not evil. It's just an evil side. Right. It's like a way to detach himself. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's probably true. Um, The fact that Nick could name an alter as like a very specific character is fascinating. But he also named that character to be a 300 year old vampire. So I'm not sure really how. I mean, I don't have DID. I'm not saying that mental illness is logical. That's part of the issue. It's not. But, like, I don't know how realistic that sort of alter personality would be for someone with DID. But also, he remembered the whole fucking thing. He remembered it enough to be like, I took a second to be like, should I do this? Right. So that's not under our definition of what that is. But I think there's definitely something more going on mentally, even if not DID. I don't know that I would say it's nothing but autism. Right. (laughs) But I'm also not going to say that it was this particular very rarely seen mental illness you right. know at the end of his four-day trial nicholas Godijohn was charged with first degree murder mm. more than gypsy and was given the sentence of life without the possibility of parole significantly more than gypsy yes he will be in prison for the rest of his life and gypsy will get out within her 30s yeah the gypsy today is much different than the past two decades of her life painted her to be. She has longer hair now. It's wavy. It's kind of curly. It goes past her shoulders, mm-hmm. which is the longest it's ever been. Yeah, in her entire life. Same wide smile, same bright eyes. She finds out that the only thing wrong with her is that she needs glasses. Every other thing was created by her mother. Yep. Leukemia, muscular dystrophy, asthma, heart murmurs. The list goes on oh, and the feeding. on. And what really frustrates me about that, too, is not only did you taint her medical records for the rest of her life so that it is going to be incredibly difficult for her to be treated for anything in the future. Yeah. But she was given medication that caused irreversible effects. She was procedures were done on her that there is no going back from. You don't take someone's teeth out and be able to put them back in. You don't give someone a feeding tube and then pretend that that scar isn't going to be there. You don't take out the glands in her throat that you you don't do all of these invasive. You said hundreds of surgeries that this poor girl had and every single one of them was done for no reason. And that makes me want to freak out at the providers that, blindly just build the insurance and went along with it and like cut into this baby like she was a child yes and she was an infant and nobody was there and you know i will talk i really like rod her dad he wasn't there 
-hmm. He didn't catch it. He didn't see it. Yeah. And I know that there are, you know, hurdles to that. He didn't really have a whole lot to work with without fear of Gypsy being taken away permanently. Right. But he was the only one. He was the only one that needed to be there that wasn't because everybody else in society thought that they had this covered, right? She didn't have a school to go to. There was no teacher to say, "Mm, Gypsy actually played outside today or she wanted to. Mm -hmm. There was no church leader to say like, oh, when Gypsy comes for youth group, we notice that she's like a little down or talks extra about this thing. There was no other social nuts to catch her. So in this case, it absolutely should have fallen to Rod to do a little more investigating if he was freaked out. Like if he was worried. Yeah. And maybe he wasn't. Maybe because Gypsy. Maybe because Dee Dee started all of this when Gypsy was a kid, like a baby. Maybe he thought that was normal. That's how like, you know, health impaired children grow up. But either way, if I thought that my daughter had a limited life, I'd be bending over backwards to be there for as much of as as I could. So. Gypsy has gone on to say that she feels more free in prison with her mother dead than she ever did on the outside. That's so sad. Gypsy, when asked if she's happy that her mom can't abuse her anymore, cryingly says, yeah, but at the same time, I'm not happy that she's dead. I know that it's weird to do something and then say you wish it didn't happen, but I needed to be free and I don't wish she was dead. That's your mom. I can entirely understand where she would feel that way. And Gypsy says now, like as an adult in the real world, being able to come forward and talk about this honestly, she says she wishes she would have just told her dad that she could have been straight up with him. Been like, hey, this is not good. I need to come live with you. But they never had enough of a relationship that she felt like he was a trusted adult. She didn't have the skills to be able to do that because I don't even think she thought that was an option. She didn't. She thought that all of it was true. So it's not like she'd go to him and be like, hey, this is all a lie. If anything, she'd be like, I don't think I need this wheelchair yet. Yet. You know, like she still thought she would need it. She still thought she was going to die. And Gypsy says now, of course, that she wanted to go live with Rod. But Rod, he's a great father in my eyes. I know I just said that like there's a lot he could have done and maybe he should have done. But he says that too. He says he blames himself for not doing more. And I, I understand that regret. But in my eyes, it's always what you do when you learn of the problem, not what you do before you know it's there. Mm-hmm. And when he learned of it, he was there. He is still to date, willing and ready to work on building a good relationship with his daughter. Um, again, he did pay child support alimony. He was taken. Didi took over $150,000 for Gypsy's unneeded medical expenses from him. He forked that wow. out. And again, I don't know if that's all of them. I'm almost certain it's not because they're super fucking expensive. Mm. But like he did that without ever really having a relationship with her. That's how much he wanted to do whatever he could. And I'll take that. And Gypsy's family says that she was punished enough between prison and growing up with Didi. Her cousin, the one that called Didi evil, said she probably would have been a normal kid if Didi wasn't her mom. Oh, I think there's no doubt that she wouldn't have been and while i'm glad for her freedom and alleged self-actualizing i think it's important to remember a few things one i still don't trust it all you know it's been brought up a few times in the few documentaries i saw and even through the abuse and isolation gypsy was incredibly close with her mom she'd likely picked up on that manipulation and frankly it would be 
Kind of more concerning if she hadn't for her social skills. Like you learn what you're taught. And she was taught lies. She was taught manipulation. The second is we still don't know how true this story is. You know, I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and watch to see if anything comes out. And I probably I don't really think anything. Well, this is kind of tumultuous and harrowing enough in and of itself. But, you know, we had 20 other years worth of lies. Whether or not she believed them to be true, she learned how to perpetuate them. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the story is true. I, I'm wondering if other people are wondering if it's true. But, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Occam's razor tells me it probably is. <laughs> I think with this one, it makes you consider all of the victims in mm-hmm. this because at first glance, it's Dee Dee. Right. Then you peel a layer back. Gypsy was victimized her entire life. Right. But then I think of like on a macro level. Yeah. Yes. The resources poured into. 350000 no, sorry, $3,500 for Miranda Lambert. Like a fucking country singer. To right, just be like, but in that, and, that was, and that was willingly given, right? right? But then I consider every single procedure that was done that wasn't mm-hmm. necessary, that was paid for. I consider Habitat for Humanity. Yeah moving her building a wheelchair accessible home right that Didi then just trashed but they had yeah a home built from the ground up at zero cost to them that was free 99 yep that they didn't need and no offense but the disability accommodations are expensive those that's like half of the battle with disabilities right how do we make sure that we can do life semi-normally and help you get up the stairs they paid to send them on a vacation to disney world that is not at all cheap nope and so in considering not so much the resources that were used but because they were used they were taken away from other people who could have used that other children who did actually fit the criteria that Dee Dee would have you believe gypsy did right kids that really did not have long and then I think about all of the people that also failed her, you know? Every one of those doctors, I feel Every like, should have... Every single fucking doctor. A fucking review, because they're like, yeah, fuck it, I can build the insurance, this will make money, this will look good and do whatever. And that that predatory kind of, like, Well, and even business. giving them the biggest benefit of the doubt, even if... And I I don't believe this was the case for all of them, but even if everyone was just, like, this poor mother-daughter, they've been through the ringer between all of her illnesses and Katrina and losing all of this shit. We Mm -hmm. don't want to make it harder. There is a reason sometimes that it takes a few extra steps. And it's not because people want you to jump through hoops. It's so that we avoid this happening. That we can't just say, hey, I have a kink. I I don't fucking know. Like my tooth is rotting. You need to take it out and have them look at it and say, it doesn't look like it's rotting. But me go, oh, just believe me. Yeah, you're the professional and you're supposed to be able to sift through those things. And that that's frustrating. And not only that, but I mean, take the procedures out of it. Just the pure fucking medications yeah. they put this child on who had no business being on any of those medications. Right. And those long-term effects that that had. I, I mean, mean, did anybody think to wonder 
why this kid who supposedly has leukemia who wears very you know childlike wigs but who is bald is not on any kind of medicate not is on no cancer yep. drugs mm-hmm. that she just hap like it's because her mom's shaving her head not because it's a side effect of the right of the not treatment chemo. that she's getting yeah is i mean no as one. a non-professional person from the outside looking in i would see that and i would ask a question i don't know what i would do with that right but i would ask the question well and that's why like there are so many things not only does this one doctor in that record say that the mother is not a good historian like in bold underlined this is not a good person to listen to for the medical Mm -hmm. records and then nobody fucking questions the medical records he doesn't question the medical records he says this is probably factitious disorder probably but I don't know that there's enough evidence. I'm not going to actually do anything about it. That's what fucking gets me. I'm like, this kid, she committed murder. You got like, she did. She was behind it and with her mother of all people. And I'm sure that's a very complicated thing to process. But she was so wronged for decades, decades And there was no safe space. She couldn't go say anything. She would be called incompetent. Her guardian would be called. Mm -hmm. She had no privacy. She had no anything. She didn't have anything that resembled a typical childhood. And then we expect her to behave typically. And this child who is raised in violence, right? It's all manipulation and violence. So if she doesn't play along with the part, she gets the shit beat out of her. Mm-hmm. She's not or, even allowed to watch a TV show that was like, right. it was kid cartoons and like little kid. Everything was reduced, minimized, snuffed Babied. out, stunted, all of it. And I think, I guess the other piece of it too is an interesting way to look at it is this whole time you think that this is revenge based on mm-hmm. what she experienced the fact that she finds out later right. the extent of her health and surprisingly, miraculously, how good it is compared to what she's been told, that it wasn't because she found out that she was 20 being told she was 15. Right. And that she was had procedures and her teeth ripped out of her head and every other thing that she didn't need. It was because she knew that she could walk. Right. Even though her mom told her she couldn't. And she was so every bit of her life was gatekept from her that she felt no other way out. And then at first glance, you would think that this boyfriend might be coming into it with like the savior complex. Right. Like she's been like tortured and no one's listening to her and she's not really sick. And look how she's raised. I mean, look at her. Look at the laundry list of medications she's on. She's pretty much sedated half the time. She's got all these things she doesn't need, and this is the only way to save her. That's not what happened. Nope. She said, will you protect me from my mom? And he jumped from that to say, yep, I'll kill her, and we'll run away together. I'll stab her and rape her. Cool. Except I'm not into necrophilia. Not, I will call the police for you. Not, let's make a report. Not, I will tell somebody who can do something. Not, come live with me while we do this, so that you feel safe in your home. None of that. Anything. Other than the full yeah. extreme, because honestly, I would much rather Dee Dee be doing time yeah. than be dead. Yeah. And I think it's it's a very tragic case of 
such a plethora of mental illness. It is like mixed in heavily with every fucking player, Mm -hmm. you know, and that makes it hard because how much of this would have gone away with proper treatment and how much of it would have stayed? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what treatment for factitious disorder would be. How do you convince someone to stop pretending someone else is sick? For your own gain. And then, yeah. to ju- and, and if you look at like the, I, I would see the newspaper, newspaper, <laughs> <laughs> the newspaper clippings and little articles about it, like back before everyone knew what happened, right. right? But look at this strong, resilient mother with her strong, resilient child and just all the praise that she would get. Yeah. And, you know, we just don't know how you do it. Being a mother is the hardest job and all of the things, you right. know, all of the things that come out and she's, oh, well, you know, you know no, she's I just w- love my gypsy. She's worth that I would do it every day for the rest of my, you know, all of the things that like someone really in that situation would probably say. But just the well, and I think knowing how untrue it is, I think there's also an element to it where it's like I think anybody in that situation would say that in public. But I also have known a lot of people to be main caretakers for someone with a very degenerative life taking disease. And I think any of those people can say after a few years of dealing with that, they need a break. And it's not because you don't love them. And it's not because you don't want to be the caretaker. And it's not because you don't want to be there. But it's because my life is entirely around. Has it been four hours or six hours since your last dose? Mm -hmm. And what do we need to do to get you healthy? And that is no way to live your life as a person. It's important. It's necessary. We need caretakers. I have said it a billion times and I'll say it a billion more. We do not deserve nurses. But like when you are a family member who becomes a caretaker, you are entitled to and deserve breaks. Yes. And I think it should be a red flag that Gypsy did not confide any of this in anyone close. She didn't have a a mom down the street that she had a wine night with and was like, oh, my gosh, you know what? Gypsy just would not stop crying last night because the meds were so bad and I slept like crap. And, you know, I love her and I'm glad she's feeling better. But like, I just need a night off. Right. That never happened because she like fueled on the praise, you yeah. know, she like fed on it. So the last thing I wanted to end this with is that Gypsy's still a person. Any evil in there is swirled in with someone confused and trying their best. I'm inclined to believe she's changed, you know, my unicorns shitting rainbows idealism. Hmm. But I also think it's a really good indicator that she's willing to talk about it. She's been involved with plenty of retellings of this crime. It has been consistent since after her initial interrogation that faltered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And maybe she can turn on the tears on cue. I don't know. But I think it would take a pretty nuanced perspective on emotions for a sociopath to get those down pat. And she does. So I'm inclined to believe she's doing better. And I did because I'm me and we're us. And this is about time for true crime. Wanted to end on a good note. Mm -hmm. So Rod and his... I say new wife, Misty. I don't think they're newlyweds. It's just the wife he has after Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. So Rod and Misty are able to visit with Gypsy in a full contact meeting. Okay. So they can hug. They can be in the same room. And I think it was HBO's documentary that actually videoed the first time they were able to do that, Aww. which was like very emotional. And that meant that Rod got to hold his daughter standing up. Which he'd like never had before. For the first time in 20 plus years. Wow. It meant that, yeah, she was handcuffed and she couldn't wrap her arms all the way around him, but she could lean on him standing up. And that was huge for him. 
It was a sappy little love fest, but before it was time to go, Rod gave Gypsy another hug and she was crying. She was like, I can't do it. Like, it's so much. I don't know that I can do it. And he was like, hey, you got this far. You can go a little more. Once you're out, we're going to have a whole life to just be healthy and normal and we'll get you back on track. You made it this far. Like, the worst is over. And it's pretty impressive for everyone in her fucking life to say that the worst is over when she still had a full ass prison sentence to go. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that speaks volumes. But also, you know, she has a whole life and a whole parental unit ready that is healthy and willing and excited and happy to take her back in. She has, you know, she'll be 32, 34 on her release. That's amazing. She can go to school. She can get a career. She can do something she loves. She can use this to do something good. And I don't know how I feel about the fact that Nick never will. Nick's there forever. But for the last positive, I do just wanted to say that Misty, who I'm a very big fan of, tells Gypsy to set a good example. And Gypsy giggled and said she would. And that's how that ended. So that is the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard and the story of Gypsy Rose Blanchard so far. Holy shit. Can you imagine? No. No. Nope. I don't want to. Uh-uh. That's so nuts. Also, for those of you looking for media, um, the Hulu series, The Act. Oh, amazing. Yep. Oh, so but good. Also, um, also kind of weird and creepy. But also, because of all this, my roommate did get me into Sharp Objects because we watched this and she was like, <gasps> now I want to watch something else that has Munchausen's and murder. And I was like, I'm done. Sign me up. Like, no. <laughs> yes. I no convincing needed. Love that author so much. Oh. I love that book. It's okay. So there's a book called Sharp Objects. It's by Jillian Flynn. She did Gone Girl. Um, and then I think it was HBO Max turned it into a limited series. Yeah, it's like an eight part. It's so good. Amy Adams. It's so good. So true to the book. They did such a good job with not only yeah. casting it expertly. Amazing. But they didn't make it. They didn't try to stretch the book into like yeah. three seasons for a money grab. It was the perfect length of time. It told the story in the way that it should yeah. as dramatically and with a buildup that's appropriate and then a twist that blows your mind at the end and yes. it's like the last second it's not even like the last episode no it's, it's so good such <sighs> a good book i'd recommend that you read it mm-hmm. and watch that so yeah that's what i have to leave you with today um i will say i have i do think this is perhaps a bit mentally ill of me and maybe you should take <laughs> some breaks if you need them but i did watch that series and then listen to the audiobook in its entirety in like a week and that was a lot i think i listened to the book in like a day but the series was like a week followed by like a weekend of the audiobook and i was like oh my gosh my head's so full of munchausen's and murder <laughs> <laughs> i love that but it is so good uh, it's not based on this it's just another you know in the vein yeah Yeah. it's in this niche corner and this is so interesting so gypsy is up for parole in 2024 so we'll have to keep an eye on that and update accordingly so if we hear anything i'll let you know i believe 2024 is her eight and a half year mark so that is not like the full 10 years that's just when she's eligible so at the latest she'll be out in two years Mm -hmm. which is nuts crazy murdering a whole ass person your mother Yeah, while hiding in the bathroom while she's murdered, but yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Coordinating it. Coordinating. Uh, prepping, planning, stealing the knife from Walmart to do it. So. <sighs> oh, man. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in today. Thank you for celebrating our one year podversary with us with Happy an extra birthday. long, fun episode. Yes. We really did it for you guys this week, huh? Last yes. week was like a few minutes under an hour and this week we we're like let's go over two yeah let's do it <laughs> let's give them something to listen to so thank you guys all for tuning in please continue to tell a friend follow share check out our instagram do all the fun things abby if they Great wanted review. to see our instagram where would they look oh my gosh you'd go to your little instagram app or look up instagram.am and <laughs> you would Type into that little search bar about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that is <gasps> A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. And also mm-hmm. you could see our pod pets. You could see people, places, things, the names, the faces. You could see what Gypsy Rose looked like pre-incarceration and post-incarceration. Mm. And somehow I'm going to say that is a fabulous glow up. It is. Um, you can see Nick. You can look below at all of our sources, watch all the YouTube videos I watched. If you wanted to like Instagram us a little DM with your pet dressed up in like a Cinderella costume, um, that'd be kind of funny, but you could do that on our Instagram. If you wanted to send us something longer, you could do that over email, but Ali, where would they do that? So if you guys wanted to send us your feedback on an episode, case recommendation, just so many pod pet pictures you couldn't send them oh, over Instagram. Amazing. Whatever it is, you could send that to our email and you'd email us at about time, the number four, TC at gmail.com. So that's A B O U T T I M E, numeric four, TC at gmail.com. And I am so glad that y'all stuck it in there with us. Hopefully this was a good. Stuck it in there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that y'all stuck it out with us. And I hope that that did this case some justice. Oh, it certainly did. It was a long one. It (laughs) absolutely was. Thank you very much for the deep dive. Yeah. And if I take a look at my watch, that was About about Time for True Crime. Crime. Bye. Be safe. (laughs) 